Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sober Speak. Uh, this will be episode number nine, uh, episode number nueve, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, with Rini. And uh, Rini's sitting here with me, and I'm going to have Rini read the, the, um, uh, the, the daily reading. And uh, Rini, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. Overcoming self-will... So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. And that's from page 62 of Alcoholics Anonymous. Super. Thank you so much. At Sober Speak, you're going to find podcasts of people sharing their experience strength and hope, how much like you would at a speaker meeting. These men and women will tell us about their story centered around the 12 steps of recovery. My name is John M. and I will be the host of this episode. We welcome your comments. Uh, please uh, feel free to contact us. Uh, you can either go to soberspeak.com and click on the contact us button or you can send me comments directly. John at soberspeak.com. Soberspeak is a self-supporting um, organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomina- denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope of recovery for those who wish to come along for the ride. Take you want, take what you want, and please leave the rest on the curb. So, like I said, I have Rini here today, and uh, I am very uh, uh, glad to have her here with us on the podcast. Um, Rini, the first and most important question, uh, the first and most important question that I want to ask you is, have you ever met somebody else named Rini in your life? I have. I was named after Rini. Really? Yes. How many Rini's have you met? So there's like these, this is in your family, correct? Uh, my mom's best friend, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Is there any other Rini that you've met besides her? There is not. People have told me, oh, I know a Rini. I've heard it as a last name more than a first name. Oh, really? Well, that's very interesting. And uh, now, not that I would be the type of kid that would never do this, but did you ever hear like Meanie Rini or anything like that when you were growing up? Yeah, it just so <laughs> happens to rhyme with weenie, so yeah. <laughs> I didn't think of that one. <laughs> So you got all that stuff growing up. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. So, um, you know, Rini, here's what I do know about you that, um, uh, um, you know, some people know, some people listening to the podcast may not know, and that is that you do um, a lot of work in the background for recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous in particular. Um and I know you do that out of a sense of do. Well, actually, that's what I want to ask you. Why do you? And I think it's a great thing, right? Can you explain to the listeners, or just talk to me and tell me why do you actually do all that work in the background? What is it that motivates you to do that? Um, I started when I first got sober this time and went through the steps there I did not want to ever sponsor anyone you know that seemed like way too extreme and I wouldn't know how to do it and by the time I got to step 12 um, after going through the book I did feel like I knew what to do and it still was really intimidating but I did it because that was the step and 
Um, and it was totally selfish because, you know, it helped me yeah. to, to help other women. And then, um, kind of a monkey see monkey do the people I hung out with did lots of service work, went to district meetings and group conscience and had lots of service commitments. And so I started doing it and now I do it, um, because it's just part of my life and I enjoy it and, I owe Alcoholics Anonymous everything. I have a fabulous life, and I owe to give it back. And talk to you, you know, uh, because maybe maybe people are listening to this uh, as somewhere somewhere throughout the world who um, do not understand that I owe Alcoholics Anonymous everything. I understand that sentiment. Um, and when you think about that a little bit, talk, I guess, in essence, then talk a little bit what, about what you were like, what happened and what you're like now and why you say from your perspective, uh, you owe AA everything. Um, and when I say I have a fabulous life, it's not, ju- I, it's not just the outside stuff, like it's from the inside out. I used to feel hopeless and helpless and useless and like all that stuff. Like I have a full life on the ends, you know, on the inside and my outside life is pretty awesome too. Um, what I was like is, well, what I just said, I was, um, I never felt like I had direction, um, until I found alcohol and later drugs. Like that, that was my direction. Um, and that's what happened. And then what it's like now is I don't have to, you know, I don't have to drink every day. And that was um, when I got sober this time, I had to drink every day. Um, I didn't want to, and I couldn't not do that. Just so you, just so you can identify yourself a little bit more. Uh, can you tell people uh, what your sobriety date is so they'll know? My sobriety date is 7-11-2006. 7-11-2006. So tell me how you found recovery. I think you had some stops and starts in there somehow and how you came into the program. And eventually I want to get to, I know you experienced also the Boy Meets Girl on AA Campus uh, phenomena. So talk to me a little bit about all that. So I started drinking in high school. Um, what seemed to me was completely normal. Um, and I started getting in trouble and it alarmed my parents, especially my, my biological dad was an alcoholic. So what she saw with me uh, was alarming to her. She could read the tea leaves and mm-hmm. she wasn't really excited. She'd been to some al oh. and, and she knew the word allergy. She was like, this is not good. You, you're allergic. And I thought my, what I knew of allergies was <laughs> congestion, sneezing. And I thought... That's okay. Yeah, I'm totally willing to deal with that. Um, You know, she wasn't able to explain the alcoholic allergy, and I was not open to hearing it. Um, And she started sending me to counseling, and the counselor, you know, started sending me to AA meetings. And I went to a couple, you know, and I'm a teenager, and it's all old people. They were probably 30. But um, I just, I couldn't hear anything. Um, so it got to where if they dropped me off at an AA meeting, I'd go sit in the woods behind the building right. for an hour and then come back when they came back to pick me up. Um, and that went on. I drank through college. Well, 
I had, you know, I... So let me ask you, at that time, did you have any sort of inkling that you had an issue with alcohol? Or were you just like, these people don't know what they're thinking about. I'll take an Allegra, get rid of the allergy, and start moving on with my life. Yes, I was convinced that I was totally normal. Right, Yes. Um, And I continued to drink, and it continued to be a problem. And then uh, I started doing heroin, and, and I quit drinking. Because I was just wanted to do heroin, and um, <laughs> well, now that's a that's a that's an interesting way to get somebody to stop drinking uh, right? alcohol. So just... clearly, I was an alcoholic. <laughs> but I ended up in treatment from that. You know, of course, when my family found out about that, they were very alarmed and sent me to treatment. And I told the people, you know, sitting in treatment, and people, everybody was saying, "I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic." And I went up to somebody that worked there and said. I don't know what to say. You know, I'm an addict. Right. I quit drinking when I started doing heroin. And the guy kind of chuckled and said, just say you're an alcoholic. <laughs> because, but he wasn't a, you know, he didn't explain to me why he said that. So I never knew. So I started saying I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, so how old were you at this time? Early 20s. Early 20s. Okay. And that went on. I, I did not stay sober ever. I was not interested in staying sober Um, but I eventually, you know, several years later, I went to treatment again and they sent me to a halfway house in California and I continued to not be interested. I just, I, I could not fathom, you know, there's a line in the book about our alcoholic life seems the only normal one. And what drinking and using did for me was so awesome. I could not, I was willing to deal with what it did to me. And I couldn't fathom a life without those solutions. I couldn't imagine taking that leap of just being totally sober all the time. Right. That Because the times I'd tried to be totally sober were miserable. And it was like, ah, I'm not drinking today. I'm not using today. And it was, you know, white knuckling. And I thought that's what it would be like to be sober. Um, and I did not want any part of that. So I eventually, um, after many, many bumps in the road, I ended up getting clean um, in a small town where my parents were. I didn't know anybody there. I, I, everyone I knew that was sober was in California, and all I knew was I had to get back to California. Um, and I did that, and I ended up being able to... I went to lots of meetings and did lots of service things in the Alano Club where I went to meetings, um, but I never really went through the steps. I thought I did, but but I didn't. Um, and I never worked with others, which was great because I didn't have anything to offer them, really. Um, but I stayed sober for several years, met, met somebody. Um, actually, he ran the big book study that I went to every Monday night and had been sober a long time and... We dated for a while and ended up moving back to Texas and just stopped. You know, we both were very active in our group there. And when we moved back to Texas, we just stopped doing everything. We didn't talk to anybody in AA. We didn't go to meetings. We didn't do anything. Um, And eventually, I woke up one day and decided, you know, thought drinking sounds like a great idea. Well, I say decided. I did not. It's, it's, I don't believe you know, if we've, you know, we've lost the power of choice. It's not like I woke up one day and thought, should I blow my life up or not today? <laughs> um, but my alcoholism had been untreated long enough that 
that that seemed you know the mental obsession had returned and so talk to that that's an important part right that untreated alcoholism mm-hmm. explain what you mean by that well because you were going to meetings right not even no I oh hadn't you been. weren't okay, okay I, yeah gotcha. I hadn't been in a while because um, I was all better right. it, which is another thing that happens to a lot of us is we do all this work and our lives get better and mm-hmm. we stay sober for a while and then we think we're all better and. And, and then it, it, I guess it's called complacency as well, right? Mm-hmm. Complacency. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's forgetting what, you know, I, I get to keep doing the same things I do today. I'm not any less alcoholic today than I was t- 11 or 12 years ago when I got sober. Um, so I need to keep treating my alcoholism because yeah. it's still right there. Right. But like we they like always to say, think we're all better. Right. They always say it's, a, it's like it's out there doing push-ups in the parking lot, right? Right. So talk, so I'm, I'm also interested in that part that you uh, referred to about uh, uh, the drugs and the alcohol and how they mix together and, and, and how you think, uh, uh, I, I don't know, just, j- just share your experience along that line and, 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 and how you think that influences your recovery today and how it can help other people and such as well. Well... I thought for a long time that drugs and alcohol were the same thing, that I could, but those three years that I was sober, not understand, well, I was, those three years I was sober in California, I never understood step one, and I didn't know that, Um, but I was still thinking my main problem was heroin and not really understanding the alcoholism part, Um, and then I kind of thought it was all the same thing, but, you know... To be an alcoholic, the book describes this physical allergy and this um, mental obsession. Like, those are what make me alcoholic. I Not everyone who drinks, you know, you can't make someone an alcoholic. You're either an al- you either have those things or you don't. You either have the allergy or you don't. Anyone can get addicted to drugs. That's how drugs work, you know. Good point. Um, so they're not the same thing. And when I've learned that when I treat my alcoholism, then it treats all these other things. Great. Um, so let's go back to this. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, in the world, uh, I always uh, hear people talking about the boy meets girl and AA campus and, and how that plays out. Uh, uh, in your case, it's played out very well. Uh, and uh, so, so talk to me a little bit about... Uh, uh, how that relationship formed and what your family like today. Just go into your family life a little bit. Of what it's like today? Well, a combination of. How did, how did you, uh, you know, what was it like on the beginning starting that? Uh, how did it progress? And, you know, what is it like today? Well, we had a great AA courtship and it was very, it was, you know, it was very clear to us that we were supposed, you know, we were meant to be together, you know, all those things. Right. And, um... And then we moved here, and um, like six months after we got married, I started drinking, and then a few months later, he started drinking, and it all, you know, it was all a lot of fun for a while, <laughs> until it wasn't, until, yeah. you know, it turned into Jerry Springer, <laughs> and it was baffling, all the, the, I drank every day for four years, and I'd never been a daily drinker before. And the most baffling part is that it never occurred to me in those four years that it was al- that my life was blowing up because of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I'd been in AA, like all this information I'd had, it didn't occur to me. I knew something was wrong, um, but 
but it didn't occur to me that I need, you know, that that was what the problem was, which is, you know, that's how strong the mental, you know, our brains can like just hide information from us. It's very important information. (laughs) The cool part of that is I didn't think that about him. I didn't think, oh, this is alcoholism. I thought he was having a midlife crisis. Like I couldn't figure out what was wrong with him because he was a completely different person. He was horrid. And I thought, you know, if I could fix him, then my life would be okay too. But so if I had, the kicker is if I'd known, if it had occurred to me that he needed to get sober, I would have been all over him about it. And he probably (laughs) never would have. But, um, but that was a really hard time and it was baffling. You know, we'd had this fabulous spiritual connection and now this guy is such a jerk and i'm like how is like what am i missing here and it turns out this is what i was missing right um but we were able to get sober we actually have the same sobriety date which is crazy because we you know we were at the time we got you know on 7 11 06 we were our house was for sale um he was trying to get me to sign divorce papers we he we weren't, weren't living together. It was just a mess. Wow. And so. Wow. I, yeah. I so I didn't know that that's, that's, uh, that's very interesting. But yeah. something happened, right? Yes. So what happened from seven eleven oh six to now? Because. We, we've been really busy in AA. Gotcha. So you basically devoted your life to service within AA and, and, um, um, got things back on track. Well, Great. yeah, better than back on track. And and it's, you know, relationships are hard. Marriages are hard mm-hmm. regardless. And there's, I'm sure there are pros and cons to, you know, it's nice that that we're both alcoholic and we share this language and this solution, but it's also, you know, two alcoholics living together. Right. And that that can get entertaining. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, we have a really great life and two really great kids. Yeah, so tell me about your kids. How, how old are they? And they are four and eight. Four and eight. My goodness. Wow, so one would be in third grade and one's not quite in uh, preschool quite yet. Huh? Yeah, almost kindergarten and second grade. Wow, very cool, very cool. Um, what about you? Do you, is there anything you want to say about like extended family or anything like that? How did like I know your parents were trying to get you into AA or your mom or excuse me into recovery of some sort at one point. Uh, She's still with us. Is she happy where you ended up? She is. She actually lives a street over from us, mm. and we work together, um, mm. which is one of the huge blessings of of my life now, I spent most of my life, you know, most of my early years trying to get away from her. I thought she was the problem. If I could just get far enough away from her, everything would be okay. Um, and we had a really strained relationship for a long time and now we have a business together and are together all day, every day, Really, which is, you know, um, a lot of work for both of us too. But, but how awesome to get, you know, to go from yeah. that to this, that, that we get to have a business together and and live close. And right, right. You mentioned your biological dad there. Were you ever able to see him, get back with him? or? Yes, but, but then he died about 15 years ago okay. of cancer. Gotcha. And probably alcoholism time wow. in there. Sad. So I know that... Uh, um, uh, I know that you have a very uh, much a, uh, I guess you would say a love 
for the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I share that with you. I completely understand. Um, you know, it's um, for those of you who have not experienced this before, um, you know, when something like that raises you up from out of the ashes, if you will, you have a tendency to be uh, uh, biased, uh, have a love for um, those particular uh, readings and just that book in general. Um, I mean, I like the 12 and 12, but for whatever reason, it's the book that really uh, I hold close to my heart. So talk a little bit about that. So um, your experience kind of uh, uh, working through the book, uh, what you found going through the book, what you, you know, what do you find important to share with others regarding the book? So go into that a little bit. I appreciate how well the book is laid out and explaining the problem and then going into the solution. And it's just done so, and it's awesome to get to go through that working with others because I don't have to come up with anything. You know, I just get to go, go through the book page by page and share my experience with the words on the page. I don't have to go to AA school and learn how to be a sponsor. I don't have to be a counselor. You know, I get to just share my experience with that. I don't have to make up worksheets or do anything. Um, right. you know, it's not anything I'm coming up with and I feel really comfortable with that. Not, hey, this is what I say is great, <laughs> but this is what's worked for a lot of years for a lot of people. It works really well. Um, and I can just go back to that and, um, I just think it's masterfully laid out and explaining well, and it says, okay. you know, this is the AA message and these are, these are the instructions. Clear cut directions. That's right. The instructions, right? The textbook, however yes. you want to phrase that. Yes. Um, so when you're, when you're, we won't have time to go into every single step here, but when you're talking to somebody, you're kind of working through the first step and such, what comes to mind in terms, you know, if I was one of the ladies, so to speak, that you work with, what, what would be, what would come to mind in terms of what you feel is important about the first step where you direct them in the book? Um, you know, what kind of experience do you share uh, in regards to the first step, and let's talk about the first step a little bit. Well, we, when I work with somebody, we meet once a week and literally go through the book page by page. We start on the title page and read the the forwards and the preface, and um, and just talk about what all that looks like because it doesn't. You know, they need to be really clear on what their first step looks like and what alcoholism looks like in their life because. I can be, you know, it can be really obvious to me that they're alcoholic, but if they're not sure about that, then right. then it doesn't really matter. So just, you know, helping them find their own truth in the first step and what that looks like for them. I love that. I love how you phrase that. Find their own truth, right? Uh, yeah, that's uh, a to thine own self be true. So in other words, what I hear you saying is someone's reading the book, they're going along with you, and they say... That not really applies to Rini, but this applies to me, and this is my own truth, and this is how it applies to me, and and the types of experiences that I will come up with in my life. Right? Am I, am I correct about that? Right. Very nice. I like that. When you talk to somebody about the second step, you know, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. What 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 comes to your mind when you're walking through the book with somebody on that particular step? Well, I think a lot about my own experience. Um, some people come in to recovery with their own, with a lot of 
experience with mm-hmm. God or religion, and some come with a lot of prejudice, and some right. come with not. You know, we all have our own experience. Um, and I don't know what, you know, I usually don't know what people's experience is when we're going through that. So I, again, the book does a really good job of not saying this is what you need to believe. Right. You know, um, that it uses all these different phrases, czar of the heavens and spirit of the oh, universe yeah. and power greater than ourselves. Because they tried really hard not to, you know, they wanted to include everyone of every background and not alienate anybody. Um, and I really appreciate that. So, you know, sometimes it's harder for people with lots of right. background to, to get a new relationship with God than it is for people with none. Right. To unlearn. Right. They have to unlearn right. some old uh, prejudices and whatever they may have. Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I came in uh, and I really I did not have a... Uh, I didn't even do foxhole prayers. Um, it was something that, um, uh, I, I, yeah, I just didn't think about it. It was kind of like a non-issue. I grew up with a mom who, you know, I said, hey, can I go to church? Can I get baptized? Every, all the kids are doing it. She said, no. I was like, oh, okay, I guess not. Uh, so w- we didn't talk about uh, faith or religion or anything like that in my house. And it's, it's just very interesting, all the different backgrounds that come in. So talk about your own particular relationship with God. So can can you can you uh, flush out a little bit for that, how... How that has, um, um, I, I'm assuming it's not the same now than it was when you came into recovery, right? You know, it is and it's not. Um, my perception of, yeah, I believe that God is God whether I'm on board or not. So in that case, it is. There's, when you were talking, it reminded but that my experience was a lot like yours. And the line in the book about, uh, our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored the God idea altogether. That was my experience. I didn't believe or not believe. I just didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it was, I didn't think it was part of my life. But looking back now, knowing what God looks like, I see all these times that God did all these things for me or tried to do things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I see God in my life in hindsight, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't something I was relying on at the time. Um and I was very uncomfortable with the God idea when I got so you know, you know, you come into AA and you want me to be sober and talk about God. Like those are the two <laughs> most unpleasant things I can think of. And I I remember being really uncomfortable saying God out loud in a meeting. Um, and you know, we got to step. I got to step two with my sponsor, and this. You know, we got to. Do you believe that I believe? And I could do that. You know, I believe that she believed. Um, and my first conception of God was I could talk to my dead grandfather. I knew that he was not God, but I trusted that if there was, that he could be a middleman for me for a while. And that, you know, I did that for a while until I owned, I got my own conscience, really conscience, conscience, can't say it. It's a tough word to say. Relationship, um, this walking around, moving, breathing relationship that I get to have today. Talk to me about your grandfather a little bit and your relationship with him. Obviously, it must have been special. Yes. Can you uh, just dive into that a little bit? I'm curious. Yeah, my mom's dad was just a really good guy. Yeah. Just somebody I really admired. Right. And miss. Oh. 
How long has he been gone from a, a long time? A long time. Yeah. But you felt somehow a connection after mm-hmm. you got uh, sober to where you could uh, communicate with him. Very interesting. How about step three? Okay, we say, you know, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. A lot of people have uh, issues with that, so to speak, right? They're thinking that I'm going to end up uh, in a missionary somewhere, as a missionary somewhere, in a foreign land, and I'm not going to be excited about it. What is God going to turn me into? Uh, Will I be, I think like the 12 and 12 says, a hole in the donut, if you will? (laughs) Um, So uh, what was your experience? And uh, uh, can you actually remember taking the third step? Uh, And then the other thing is, what do you find when doing third steps with uh, other uh, women in the program? I I remember being afraid of having a white light experience. I was really afraid God was going to appear before me and that <laughs> was going to freak me out. Um, and that didn't happen. Um, and I do remember the 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 first um, well the first time I did the third step prayer. Um, we did it, and I don't. All I remember about the third step prayer was then. Because I knew I was supposed to start inventory right after that. You know, we launch on a course of vigorous action. Mm-hmm. And it was October, and my sponsor said, well, the hol-, you know, I was like, when when are we going to start my inventory? And she's like, well, the holidays are coming up. We're both going to be really busy. Let's start it in January. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I don't know if I can wait that long. <sighs> so I ended up getting another sponsor and, and getting through inventory. Um They do say be honest and thorough from the very start, right? Yeah. Um, I get it. Uh, You had a sense of her. It's interesting you say that, and I'll go back to you, is that there are, to me, it seems like people fall in one or two camps when they come into AA. Either they're trying to do as little as possible just to kind of scrape by, you know, uh, just to kind of make it, if you will. Uh, to get that uh, C minus in the class, right. so they could just go on to the right. next phase, whatever that is, or they kind of almost overdo it. You know, I can pull back somebody who's overdoing, so to speak, right? But it's hard to uh, it is it, it it's hard to like light a fire under somebody if they have it or they don't. But nonetheless, right. so you had that fire, you were moving along, and. Um, yeah, I didn't know where I was going, but I was moving along. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to where I was. Right, right. And so you, so you did that third step, and um, uh, so did you launch on that course of vigorous action? So, so I'm sorry, I took you off track. So you had that sponsor, uh, the one who wanted you to start in January. You got another sponsor. What did the new sponsor say? Um, get busy. So you know, I got through inventory and and read a obnoxiously long fifth step and and just kept going on through the steps. And I love getting to do, you know, when I do a third step prayer with the women I work with, we get on our knees and hold hands and and read it out of the book together. And then they sit in my office and start writing their master list. Wow. And so you said you had an obnoxiously long uh, four step to read out during your fifth step. Um, so So it sounds like you were one of the thorough folks. I, I was one of those as well. You had everything written out. Can you Do you remember what that experience was like? How long it took? Uh, uh, it's funny you say thorough because that's what she said at the end. Well, that was very thorough. <laughs> but again, I in you said something earlier that reminded me of talking about the third step. Um, 
I never, I didn't understand any of this stuff. You know, the first time going through, I didn't really understand the third step until I was like on the, you know, several steps later, I'd be like, oh, okay, now I understand what that was about. Or going through the second time, I'd get more clarity. But I, you know, I didn't totally understand everything I was doing in step three or step four, but I knew that I needed to, you know, I knew that that was what I needed to be doing. And Right. Sounds good. Um, what about the three sides of the triangle? Uh, Won't you share a little bit about that, uh, uh, how important that is for you in your life? Um, and uh, anyway, just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Meaning, and what do yeah. the three sides of the triangle mean for those who may not be up on that who are listening to this? Right. Unity, service, and recovery. And I, you know, and those translate unity into meetings and service into service and recovery into steps. You know, meeting steps and service is what I harp on the women I work with about. Um, and I ask them to call me at least once a week and let me know where they are with those three things. Mm-hmm. Um because we always need to have a service commitment and always need to be active in step work and be going to meetings. Um, that's interesting. So, yeah, that's uh, I like that uh, that accountability bit. Uh, you say when people call you, you have them check in and tell me where are you with the unity, where are you with the service, and where are you with the recovery. And uh, so how do those conversations, I guess I'm wondering, what are the real life examples that go behind those? Um, what are you looking for in those conversations? And talk about Well, that. and, you know, it sounds a lot militant, no. a lot more militant like that. You know, we, they're friendly conversations <laughs> right. and sometimes they just leave messages and we talk later. But, and I, you know, that's what my sponsor asks of me. And I call her at least once a week and check in with her about those things and other things. Um, just, you know, I... I believe and appreciate that she allows me to keep her current with what's going on in my life. So if something does come up, I don't have to catch her up for two hours before like, okay, this is the backstory to all that. You know, she's, we're current with each other. Well, she's current with me. Um, and I found that that work, the women that I've worked with for a long time that, that have great long-term sobriety, they, you know, they, that's what they do too. Um, and it's they just call and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm on my way to my third meeting this week. I'm still such and such is still my service commitment. And I'm working with however many women and, <laughs> you know, I'm on steps 10, 11 and 12. Right. Or they, you know, they talk about what they're seeing in 10 and 11 or uh-huh. that kind of stuff. Good. Yeah. Speaking of 10, 11 and 12, I know we're skipping some. Well, first of all, are there any amends in particular that you would like to talk about that stand out above all for you? No, I don't have any. Fa- I know some people with some fabulous amend stories, and I love hearing people's amend stories. Um, I don't have any that are just outrageous, um, but just the fact that I did them at all. You know, I had a lot to do, and in different cities, and I like oh. went on a amendsathon. Oh well, that kind of thing. That's very interesting. Um, so talk about that a little. So you- well, I just, I mean, I just sat down and made a plan. You know, I've got this group in California, and this these people in Houston, and these people in Dallas, and these people where I grew up. You know, I so I just made a plan. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be in town in two weeks. Can we meet for coffee? Um, but I got to make amends to old, you know, an employer that I, well, two employers that I stole from, um, lots of friends and family I've made amends to several, um, people who have died. 
Um, I got to make events to my old drug dealer. Um, <laughs> just, you know. Those and, are always interesting. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, you know, some, some people went to some meetings as the result of some of the, you know, nobody mm-hmm. has, like, you know, stayed sober that I know of after that. But um, I got to help a friend get into a recovery home after an amends and just, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill kind of stuff, but just, you know, the fact that I did them at all when, in, you know, when I was at step one, that seemed like, no, I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> but by the time I got to nine, I was willing you to were do those. willing to do those. Mm-hmm. And you took the action. Well, to me, that's kind of like a, that's very, actually, very interesting story. You went on an amends a thought. <laughs> what was that old, uh, there was a... Uh, a television show that was uh, on for for quite some time. It was like Ed or something like that. Remember that? Uh, you know, yeah, my name is Earl. Yeah, Earl. That's it. And he would go. Uh, he would go find all these people to do uh, yeah. amends to. So you were like the uh, the female version <laughs> of it. You could have made my name is Remy. <laughs> Maybe. I think his were a little more entertaining. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm sure they make it entertaining on television. I don't think that was based on uh, reality anyway. So, um, all right. So 10, 11, and 12, talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, I know we've talked about how you carry the message. Talk about your uh, 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 inventory process, uh, uh, your, your, your prayer life a little bit. Um, anything you want to say in that arena? Um, and I've really, you know... It, one of the things I love about going through the steps I go through every year, and I've had a do, I've had a new experience every time, and I love that because ideally I'm going to be going through the steps every year for the rest of my life, and so I'm glad that I get a new. You know, that's not the same old drudgery every year. Right. Um, and by the way, do you do that in a formal way with a group? Do you do it by yourself? Do you do it with your sponsor? How do you do that? I all it varies from year to year. The last few years I've been doing it with groups. Last year I did it with a group of women that I work with and that some women I work with work with. There was a group of like 10 of us. And I just started a few weeks ago um, with a group that is mostly people. There was a, there are a few women I work with, but mostly men that my husband work with. And we're meeting at 530 in the morning on Saturdays. Um, and we he and I haven't gotten to go, you know, do a group thing like that in several years. So it's fun to get to do that again because we haven't done that in a few years. Very nice. Uh, so I took you off a track there with the 10 and 11. You said that every time you go through it, you have a different experience. And Yes, and I started all that to... I lost track of myself, but I've gotten to have a really different experience with 10 and 11 in the last year. So I'm excited to see what this next go-round will bring with that. Um in the past, it's been really hard for me to be real consistent with 10 and 11, especially 11. Um, and I've um, been able to get more consistent with that lately, and that's been really cool. I just the 10, you know, throughout the day to pause. And again, working with my mom, there's lots of opportunity and for her to, right. to pause when agitated <laughs> and like, okay, mm, where's God in this? Um and then in the morning and at night to do the the, the writing out of the book. And I, uh, my alarm goes off at, at 5.30 every morning and I go sit at the dining room table and write out my 11th step for the morning. And then I have a, a book I'm reading to kind of a devotional and... So that's, that's how great. I've been doing. Oh, yeah. Me, so that is fantastic. Yeah. 
you are busy in the program. I'm very impressed. Um, so if, if I were somebody, we'll talk about, how do I put this? Uh, it, uh, what's important? In other words, I, kn I know all of it's important. You talked about the three sides of the triangle, but if I'm struggling and I'm out there uh, and, and I'm trying to get sober and possibly um, um, I've had some real challenges with that, right? Um, what's important? What, what's the takeaway? What would you grab onto? Uh, uh, just share your experience there and, 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 and how people can get sober a day at a time and they don't have to live in that uh, scourge of alcoholism, if you will. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Just... Um... I encourage people to get to meetings and if they don't like that meeting to find a different meeting and keep going to meetings and, and talking to people and, um, you know, listen to people in meetings who have a solution and who talk about the book and sure. who, who have a sponsor and are, you know, busy doing the work, you know, somebody right. with a solution. There you go. And I, I agree. Like, in other words, you want to be able to, uh, uh, they say, you know, you you want to hang around the winners, so to speak. Now, that gets a little bit judgmental, I right. guess. But you do want to look at people that have uh, some sort of extended sobriety. Um, they are, they're, they work the steps. They're continuing to work the steps. Um, they're doing what they need to do in their group, and they're taking it a day at a time in order to get sober, right? Right, and not necessarily somebody with a lot of time. I, I know people with two years True. who have more what I want than people with 20 years that are just grumpy and crusty. So it's, <laughs> right. you know, it's it's a quality versus quantity kind of issue sometimes. That's that right. Not necessarily, a lot of time doesn't always mean That's right. a lot of solution. That's right. That's right. And there are people who come around with a lot of time, go to one meeting a month, whatever your case may be, and you're always saying, hey, if you're happy, tell your face, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, Reedy, you know what? This has been a fantastic uh, recording. I appreciate you being here. You. Uh, anything else you want to add before we close it out? Okay. No, uh, in fact, I'm just going to go ahead and read here from page 164 of the big book, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the last page of our uh, text. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Fellows. We don't hear that word used too much nowadays, do you? Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, hopefully me and Rini, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Rini, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.